0: My name is not Dr. Google. I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15 minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the common things that I see several times a day vaginal discharge, vaginal infections. The title is Itchy and Fishy. Itchy and Fishy. This is part one of Itchy and Fishy. Um, Itchy is referring to yeast infections. Fishy is referring to bacterial vaginosis, also known as BV. BV seems to cause more of an issue um, as far as recurrence. So we're going to talk about that one first. So this is part one of itchy and fishy. So we want to fix it. So first of all, bacterial vaginosis is a uh, vaginal infection. So it is an infection. Not necessarily a sexually transmitted disease, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but it is an infection. And so usually what you're going to see, you as the patient, you're going to start having a discharge. Now, we've talked about it before. We've talked about cervical mucus in our previous episode. So it's not like you're never going to have any discharge, but this is going to be a little bit different. It's usually going to be thin and white. And it's going to be heavier, and it's going to be every single day. Cervical mucus, remember, that's usually around the time of ovulation, which is once a month. So this is all the time. But really, the biggest hallmark is that it smells not good. It has an odor. And so the odor is classically a fishy odor. It's a fishy odor, and, and it's, it's simply that. Um, if you have an odor that smells foul, sometimes that, that's how some people describe it. Um, but it, it's, it's truly a fishy odor. So when you have the fishy odor, it can be one of two things. It can be BV, it can be an STD called TRIC or trichomoniasis, or it can be kind of coming off of your menstrual cycle. So depending on um, you know your hygiene or the heaviness of it, um, sometimes you can have a little bit of a fishy odor as you um, result or come off of your cycle your menstrual cycle, your um, period. So let's first of all talk about how we figure this out. So you have a fisiota, you have a discharge, and you go to your doctor. It is best that they do an exam and actually look at your discharge. So you have to have, let me just say this, in medicine, you can't just have one thing. Um, and there's there's sometimes there are diagnoses where you have one thing and, and that's clearly it. In the case of BV, you, you have to have a few different things pointing towards BV. Um, part of the reason we have, it seems like, a recurrence or, you know, we have people who constantly get BV is sometimes we're kind of over-diagnosing it. So technically, you have to have that discharge and that fishy odor. You also have to have the um, the appearance of the discharge also kind of has to look like BV. Um, the pH of the the discharge And then the presence of the uh, clue cells. Clue cells are essentially what we use to look at under the microscope to say, yes, you have BV. Um, Also, when we look under the microscope, we like to see the normal bacteria of the vagina there. So let's back up. BV is essentially, it, it flourishes in an environment that is higher than the normal pH of the vagina. So if it's greater than 4.5 pH, and sorry you guys if I'm getting too technical, but that's kind of like where it can live. If you have a normal pH, then it doesn't thrive. So what makes the pH in the back in the vagina normal? Lactobacilli. This is I'm geeking out on you guys, but the lactobacilli actually produce hydrogen peroxide, which actually keeps the vagina normal as far as the pH. And when that pH is normal, it's hard for the bad bacteria to overgrow. So simply put, if you've got a, a lot of the good bacteria, the bad bacteria never, never take over. And there's the yeast that can also take over, and then there's the BV that can take over. So essentially, you want to keep things at the normal pH where everybody gets along, where there's a little bit of yeast, but they're not, not they're not taking over, or there might be a little bit of BV, but they're not taking over. That your normal bacteria are in charge. Okay, so backing up, going back to what we were saying. If you have uh, an an overgrowth of the bad bacteria, we can see some signs of that under the microscope. So I know some patients now have access to their medical records and if, and they're like, oh, I have clue cells. Well, if you have one clue cell, that doesn't mean that you have BV. However, if you've got a lot of clue cells, you've got a fishy odor, um, you've got the discharge, if the pH is off, then we can say, yes, you have BV. So number one, we have to make the diagnosis. We have to make it correctly. I do like to look under the microscope for women who have recurrent BV and look at their lactobacilli, because if it looks like you don't have a lot of lactobacilli, then that's part of where we need to focus our treatment. Now, you know, I, I'm presenting information to you through my experience, but I've also um, I'm looking at the CDC and a and a site called UpToDate um, that gives us a, the most up-to-date clinical information. And we haven't really proven that um, increasing the lactobacilli is the end-all, be-all. We're thinking it helps, but we have to get more studies to really kind of hammer it home on how long you have to treat, how much of the probiotics that you have to take. Probiotics help improve your uh, counts of lactobacilli. All right, so once we have diagnosed you with BV, we treat you. And again, let me say that this is educational only. Um and BV can smell like trick. So there's a different treatment for trick the STD and a different treatment for BV the vaginal infection, okay? So that's why you really do want to go to the doctor because if you've got an STD, that has a huge a lot more implications than if you have BV, because trick you've gotten from your sexual partner, and if you don't get that treated, then he'll keep giving it back to you, okay? Sorry for the aside. All right, we're going on to treatment. So the treatment is an antibiotic, and it's commonly called metronidazole, that's a generic name, or Flagyl. That is the most affordable and and usually the most common treatment, and it is a tablet that you take twice a day, usually for seven days, now, the big thing with this is that if you are drinking alcohol when you're taking the the metronidazole, then you can get sick, really, really sick. So we always tell patients to avoid drinking alcohol while you're taking this. All right. So twice a day for seven days is one of the common ways we treat it. Now, I will tell you, and I'm guilty of this too, if you have to take a medication for a week, and let's say you start getting better at, at day three, what do you think happens day four, five, six, and seven. Well, you probably quit taking your medicine or maybe you take it once a day because you're starting to forget because the odor's gone and now you're feeling better. So part of the reason I think sometimes we have a recurrence is that people are not completing their medications. So there is an alternative that I like to prescribe and it's in the same family as metronidazole, but it's called Tendamax. And for that one, you only have to take two tablets once a day. So you take the two tablets at the same time, take it for once a day, and you only do that for five days. Now, there's still the risk of you not completing it, but usually if you have to take something once a day and it's only for five days, you're probably more likely to take that. However, this is a problem. It's more expensive. Um, for the or the, the metronidazole, that can sometimes be less than $10. I've had patients who pay $30, $40 for the Tendamax. Um, but guess what? If you keep getting it and you have to keep coming back to my office, I think it's cheaper to go ahead and pay that and and try to knock it out um, than coming back to see me. So the tindamax um, or the tinentazol and the flagyl or metronidazole those are tablets that you take. You also can do a local treatment, which is always a good way to to manage infections. Anytime you take a pill and antibiotic, you are affecting your whole entire system and there's a whole theory now how when we're taking antibiotics, we're, we're messing with our gut flora, which in this case, lactobacilli is the vaginal flora. The gut flora has its own job. And so there's a whole big issue out of that of trying to limit antibiotics, which I, I'm in favor of. The treatment that you use vaginally is metronidazole or metrogel. And you would insert an applicator full in the vagina um, for five days, so five nights. And you do that consecutively. Um, some patients don't like that because it kind of gets messy um and also this option also is expensive uh so but it's a good way to treat it locally without having to affect your whole um your whole system and affecting your g i flora The other way that we treat this is with a clindamycin gel. Clindamycin uh is also an antibacterial i mean an uh, anti um uh, microbial an antibiotic uh that would treat BV. Now I have learned that some of the clindamycin preparations are oil-based and could affect your latex condoms, um, which would be a problem. So usually I recommend when you're being treated for a vaginal infection, you you need to just abstain from having sex, clear the infection up, let the pH get back to its normal milieu, and then hey, you can go on about your business. So those are the treatments. Prevention is really something that we want to kind of focus on, because if we can prevent it, then that's better than having to come to the doctor and take medications that have its own effects. So one thing that we ask patients to do to prevent it is don't douche. Douching is a huge thing. I know, and I, my grandma, may she rest in peace and let my family probably be mad. I'm telling y'all this, but I know y'all know there's a red douche bag that was in her <laughs> That was in her bathroom. And I never knew what that red bag was. And nobody ever would really tell me. But essentially, everybody had grandmas with these red bags. And so culturally, they would um, rinse out the vagina as a cleansing method. And traditionally, you know, you would do this in preparation for going to church and getting clean and being right. And so um, that was something that was handed down. So, But we now know that what you're doing when you're douching is that you're getting rid of that lactobacilli that keeps the vaginal pH normal. You're getting rid of the, the vaginal pH. So patients ask me all the time, but it's over the counter. How is it not good? Well, it's it's been over the counter, and everybody's been doing it for umpteen years. Just because it's there doesn't mean that you need to use it. Um, so I would recommend that you, li- that you do not douche, and, and most gynecologists do. The other thing that you can do to prevent it is, especially in those women who have recurrences, is use condoms. You know, semen can also um, adjust the pH of the vagina. So if you're having issues with it, um, you might want to consider, and I I usually say do it as a trial. Just see if it gets better. And that way you're not introducing anything that could potentially adjust the pH and put you at risk uh, for BV. The other thing, and, and this is kind of, you know, most... Most people will say, "Hey, you know, limit the tub baths so that you're not kind of, you know, rinsing out the vagina." However, depending on how long you're in there, doesn't it doesn't it might not impact it. You probably don't want to take a BV. Um, <laughs> you probably might not want to take a bath every single day, um, but I think every once in a while is okay. But again, if you're somebody who's having a problem with it and it's recurrent, and you take a bath every single day, I probably would ask you to to hold off on that. So this next one, I, I've alluded to a niche before, that probiotics, uh, which is something you would take to improve the vaginal flora, which is the lactobacilli, that is something that I have included in my treatment. Um, and I, I feel like it's helping patients. Again, you know, prevention, you know, is multi-tiered. But if you can improve the lactobacilli in the vagina, that can help. Now, again, we have to have more studies to determine how long and if it's as effective as we think, but it definitely does not seem to be hurtful. The thing that you need to, to look at when you're purchasing a probiotic is to make sure that it is going to target the vaginal bacteria. If you take something for the gut floor, the different bacteria um, that predominate in, in the intestines that's different from the vagina. So you specifically want to be looking for um, something that's going to improve the flora in the, that's a medical term, y'all, the bacteria in the vagina. So a few things I'd like to, to say before we finish. STDs and BV have have been linked. To be clear, BV is not a sexually transmitted infection. However, you will read that some people feel that maybe if you keep giving it to your partner or that if you keep getting it, maybe you're getting it from your partner. Technically, that's sexually transmitted. I'm not necessarily, I don't fall on that camp. Uh, I will say using condoms, I think, um, can help for the reasons previously stated. One thing, though, that seems to apply to STDs and BV is, again, that pH is changed. And you're missing that lactobacilli that keeps the vagina normal. So the thinking is, is that because the pH is altered, you're more at risk for getting gonorrhea or chlamydia, herpes, HIV, all these infections, because your protection, which is your your normal bacteria, is not there. So there is a link, there appears to be a link to a chronic BV infection and uh, contracting STDs. And this is based on the CDC and up-to-date. So if you think you have it, you think you're having symptoms, you definitely want to get it addressed. The other caveat is in pregnancy. So BV is normally harmless if you're not pregnant. However, if you are pregnant, we do feel that it might put you at risk for early labor. So any infection, if you've got gonorrhea and chlamydia, that can be a problem. But BV can also be a problem um, because we think it increases your risk of going into early labor, so that is something that you know we do an exam at the beginning of your OB care, and then if you have any symptoms, if you think you have BV while you're pregnant, make sure that you share that with your obstetrician, um, so that they can take a look and make sure that that's not that's not going on. What I will say is that if you're not having any symptoms, you don't necessarily have to be treated. So. Um, you don't necessarily want to be treating yourself for things that you don't have. Um, I will say I've, I've seen boric acid suppositories over the counter, and that's also something that's been used as a preventive measure. The studies are, are supportive that it probably helps prevent. It's kind of on the fence whether it actually treats the actual BV infection, meaning it eradicates it. I will say if you get it one time, treat it and go on with your life. Once you start getting it multiple times and it keeps coming back, then you need to be in partnership with your your doctor, preferably your gynecologist, to figure this out so that you can put a stop to it. There are a lot of over-the-counter things. Uh, Boric acid um, has been something that a lot of my patients have used and felt that they've used it successfully. BV differs from yeast. Yeast, you have the -the over-the-counter treatments. And you'll treat it and you'll go on. I think BV is different and we probably won't ever see a over-the-counter treatment because TRIC, the STD, is also um, treated by the same exact medication um, as BV. And I think that if you have TRIC, that's that has a whole nother set of issues that go along with it. So that wraps up this episode, Itchy and Fishy. So tune in for part two. Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Although I'm a doctor, this does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or healthcare provider. So please seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. And go to my website at Office Visits with Dr. That's Office Visits with Dr. Com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.